0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Unified, a podcast feed from First Church Belmont Unitarian Universalist. We'll be sharing sermons and stories, special thematic content made new every week. We're so glad you're here, and for more information about who we are and opportunities to grow and deepen, swing by the church on Sundays or check out our website at uubelmont.org. And for now, enjoy this new content. To forgive imperfectly is the only way to justly respond to an imperfect world. Sometimes I wonder why I forgive so easily. Is it because I am, simply put, an incredibly generous, kind-hearted, and selfless individual? Of course. But no, in truth, no. If I really think back on times of forgiveness, that forgiveness has come easily, it tends to be an issue that wasn't very emotionally involved. And some of the time, I think I forgave because it was the easier option. What am I supposed to do? Sit with this discomfort of not being in good relationship with someone? That would mean I'd have to name my own needs in the relationship and, heaven forbid, tell someone they needed to do more to do right by me. But also, when I dig a little deeper, I come across memories of people who I never actually forgave, people who I don't even know how to forgive at this point. And all of these moments share something in common, When I think back to them, I feel a lurch in my stomach, a pain in my heart. I feel disappointment, sadness, anger, even contempt. And I find myself wondering, what do I do with this now? These feelings are still there despite these relationships no longer existing. Does forgiveness even play a role anymore when there are no relationships to repair or reconcile? Does forgiveness even play a role anymore? One of the clearest examples of this non-forgiveness in my memory comes from when I was 18 years old. Just after my high school graduation, I learned that my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and within the month, he died. I was so racked with grief over the whole experience. I was angry at him, angry at myself, angry at the world. And forgiveness was the last thing on my mind. But the biggest moment in need of forgiveness from this time and the thing that stayed with me the longest afterwards was with my friend community i was lucky to have many groups of friends growing up and i'm grateful to so many of those friends for being by my side at that time but there was this one group of friends that wasn't there for me and oh my gosh was i mad at them I was filled with disappointment and sadness, anger, confusion. And for a long time, I was pretty content with staying mad. This was at the moment of my transition into college, where I moved far away, and I was primed to never see them again. Forgiveness genuinely didn't seem important, and part of me really wanted to hold on to the hurt. Then almost exactly a year ago, when retelling this narrative yet again, something shifted. And as I spoke, I heard these words coming out of my mouth. Yeah, they didn't come to the memorial service, and I was so hurt by that. It took me a while, but I do forgive them now. What? How? Since when? I hadn't reconciled with them. I hadn't even let go of the resentment. Yet, that statement somehow felt true. I did forgive them. This left me wondering, what in the world is forgiveness? With this question in mind, I turned to philosopher Maisha Cherry. In her book, Failures of Forgiveness, Cherry relays the life story that began her path towards studying forgiveness more deeply. She shares that immediately following the death of her mother, her stepfather informed Cherry and her sister that while their mother had been in the hospital dying, he had begun seeing another woman who was now living with him. Cherry described the fury that arose in her and her sister and the betrayal they felt, especially for their mom. On the day of their mother's funeral, their stepfather, quote, humbly approached us and begged for forgiveness. Cherry refused to forgive And while her sister did forgive and went on to maintain a relationship with him, Cherry didn't speak with him again. Interestingly, Cherry notes that while her sister's forgiveness of her stepfather takes on a more traditional and observable stance, Cherry does feel like she has forgiven her stepfather since then. Her forgiveness, however, does not entail reconciling or repairing her relationship with her stepfather. With this, Cherry aims to broaden our understanding of forgiveness, to go beyond something that has a single aim, such as reconciliation. She says, we must think of forgiveness not as a single thing and not as aspiring to one goal but rather as a set of practices that might aim at several reparative actions. Imperfect forgiveness is the idea that forgiveness does not take place in ideal conditions or create ideal outcomes. I might forgive even though I have not received an apology. You might forgive and still be unable to find relief. Nonetheless, just because forgiveness is imperfect doesn't mean that we shouldn't try our best to do forgiveness better. For Cherry, the root of true repair, or as she names it, radical repair, means getting to the depth of emotions that are at the root of the problem this resonated deeply with me as I recollected these lost friendships and the strong feelings of sadness and anger that still bubble up once in a while. What I have to acknowledge is the depth of emotion that is at the root of the problem, the things that still remain after forgiveness. In a podcast interview with Kate Norlock, Cherry and Norlock discussed the issue of these things that remain. And they use the language of moral remainders. Now, I had to look this up. Moral remainders acknowledge the lack of completely resolving, an exceedingly difficult moral problem. A common example in the realm of moral philosophy is choosing to sacrifice one life for many. The, ro- the moral remainder there is regret. But Norlock wants us to take this further. She says that emotions themselves are also remainders. If you've wronged someone, including yourself, you can try to fix that wrong by discharging the obligation. For example, I borrowed your blender, and I broke it. I buy a new blender for you, maybe even better than the blender you had before. And the problem is fixed with no remainders. Everyone's satisfied, walks away feeling like they did right, and they were done right by. However, moral remainders in the emotional sense, have to do with not only my inability to fix what I broke, but also those feelings of regret. I'm not going to be able to undo this. I'm not going to be able to get rid of all my feelings about being unable to undo this. And even if I can get rid of those feelings, I won't know that I won't feel them in the future that's unpredictable. We are, to an extent, inevitably stuck with moral remainders. And if we're inevitably stuck with them, then forgiveness is more important than reconciliation or letting go. Forgiveness takes on the role of developing compassion for ourselves and our imperfections. Later on in the interview, Norfolk says something that really connected the dots for me. She says, I think all of our social and political problems are just big sets of moral remainders. That's a problem, because if I'm right, those problems don't ever really go away. It's just about management. I think all of our social and political problems are big sets of moral remainders. Cherry responds, it points to fragility and the aftermath of being fragile creatures who are acting and creating stuff. And the task, the moral task, is to not create perfect stuff, but live with the imperfect stuff we already made. To me, that's illuminating, but it's also liberating. Liberating because if we can use forgiveness to help us live with the imperfect stuff we already made, this speaks to how I came to forgive these lost friendships after my dad's death. What we made of that moment, which is a moment we made together, me, and them. It wasn't just them. And it was utterly imperfect. And the role of forgiveness in those relationships wasn't about reconnecting or even repairing what was done. It was about understanding more fully the humanity of it all. But it also goes far beyond interpersonal forgiveness. It is liberating if we can use forgiveness to help us live with the imperfect stuff we already made. The imperfect stuff we've already made. As we explored in more depth last week, this building that has held this community, this window that basks our sanctuary with otherworldly beauty, These structures that have led this community to be as it is today are painfully imperfect. The wealth used to establish this church came from enslaved labor in Cuba. How do we forgive ourselves as a church? Well, it also goes beyond our church. Our UU faith was established by this same wealth how do we forgive ourselves as a faith? And what about this nation? Does this nation deserve forgiveness? I return to the book that Chris introduced last week. The book is called On Repentance and Repair, and it's written by Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She offers essential nuance to this discussion in her chapter on forgiveness. She reminds us to resist forgiving systemic injustice. The work has not been done for repentance and repair, and forgiveness can prevent change systemically. We cannot absolve the system. This is how forgiveness is weaponized and used to reinscribe existing power structures. She offers a warning. What if forgiveness is actually a way of wielding bolt cutters and snapping the chains that link us. Like it's saying, what you did was so not okay that I refuse to be connected to it anymore. We cannot risk losing accountability to the harm that has been made evident. We cannot snap the chain that links us to our history. But this doesn't have to negate the potential healing that comes with forgiveness. Ruttenberg calls on Rabbi Moses Ben Maimon, more commonly called Maimonides, to remind us of the remaining value of forgiveness. Maimonides is encouraging forgiveness for the sake of not holding on to life-limiting grudges. Forgiveness as liberation for the sake of not holding on to life-limiting grudges. Forgiveness as liberation. Here we return again to what has become one of my favorite concepts, emotional moral remainders. I believe it is those remainders, the guilt, the grudges and anger, the sadness, disappointment, and shame. These emotional remainders lock us up inside, so we feel like we can't move. We can't change. Forgiveness, an imperfect forgiveness that turns away from the goal of reconciliation and towards giving space for these emotional remainders, this imperfect forgiveness. Forgiveness offers us the ability to turn towards the future and feel like we can do something about it. Perhaps this will show us a path towards a new way of being in relationship, a way towards repair that values the whole of our humanity and that of others. May forgiveness be our path. May we use it to lean towards discomfort and uncertainty, to learn from our past, to live with the big emotions that stay long past their welcome, to take the time to really understand what repair would be beneficial to those who have been harmed, to hold on to our accountability towards each other and not allow forgiveness to be bolt cutters, but rather, may forgiveness be that which allows us to decide what a relationship will look like anew. May it be imperfect. May it be so. Amen.